This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. this program. You cool with that, Scruzzy? Eh? Not a big Pearl Jam guy? Why not? Pearl Jam 10 was the first album, like the first, hold on, the first compact disc CD that I ever bought. You don't care, do you? How old were you? (sighs) Well, it must have been around 90, so it was about 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Had to be around 1990. I think that's when this album was released. This was the first one. By the way, my buddy uh, Sean McCormick, the one guy in this world who still listens to CDs above any other form of listening to music. He said that the quality of CDs is better than anything else you can hear. Better than vinyl. Better than digital. He's a CD guy. The problem is if you scratch it, I mean you're screwed. Like you're done. And then back in the day when you had your CD collection in your car... How many times did you knock out the CDs onto the road or end up leaving the case behind somewhere and you lose all your tunes? So CDs, although the quality, there's an argument to be made that it sounds better than everything else. From a practical perspective, nine. No way. CDs were kind of a pain in the ass, right? Better step up from the the cassette disc. Or the, the cassette tape, I should say. I think the tape was better, though, because you couldn't drop it and have everything get scratched and break. Yeah, but you have to fast forward. You need to use the pen to rewind it sometimes. Yeah, you'd have to, yeah, you, you couldn't, and you never knew when the start of the song was. So you couldn't just skip songs and then trying to record on a tape. I mean, if you were like me and you're trying to make mixtapes listening to the radio, you get radio DJ guy, and this song for the sixth consecutive week, number three on the list, here's Salt and Pepper. <laughs> like, and you'd be like, try to record right when that guy stopped, and then you'd always get the voice on your mixtape. You know what I'm talking about. It had its charm, but it sounded like garbage. But the CD, I think we moved on well from the CD. Like Arcade Fire, so I bought tickets to the show at the ACC. They're sending out a copy, a CD copy of their disc to everyone who bought tickets. But I'm looking at my MacBook, and I'm like, where do I put it? Like, they're going to send me a CD. Where do I play the CD from? Put it in a frame or something. Make it look cool. I guess. What am I going to do with a CD? Like, I actually have a CD player still in my car. So I guess that's where I'll listen to my Arcade Fire CD. Anyways, Gareth Wheeler with you, at WheelerTSN on Twitter. See, we started with Pearl Jam, and we ended up on CDs. It's kind of how we do on Toronto today. Phone lines are open, 416-870-1050, 416-870-1050, toll-free at 1-855-591-6876. Promotion relegation, MLS, Major League Soccer, was offered $4 billion for its media rights. Come 2023, with one stipulation being... They embrace the idea of promotion relegation. I support that idea not only in MLS, but all North American professional sports. No longer should the tank be the way for teams to rebuild. 
It's not skill. Tearing it all down and accumulating draft picks. That's not skill. And it's worse off for the fans having to put up, watch games that you're paying good money for and seeing an inferior product because teams aren't trying to win in the here and now. I, I, just, I just think it's the biggest issue plaguing North American sport right now. The tank. The NBA wants to deal with it. I haven't heard Gary Batman. He doesn't seem to have a problem with anything. Other than paying hockey players more money or having them go to the, to the Olympics. Other than that, he's cool. But I think it's a huge problem in sports. Christian Jack's going to join me in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, he'll weigh in on the promotion relegation perspective. Could it work in North America? KJ's lived both over in England. He's lived here in North America for many years. Big baseball fan, big hockey fan. Like He's a big sports fan. So I'll ask KJ, what would have to be done to make it workable here in North American professional sports. But do you like the idea of potentially having promotion and relegation in North American sports? At Wheeler TSN is where you find me on Twitter. I'll update the poll question in a few moments' time. Share some of your comments. The text is 105050, the email live at tsn1050.ca. Adam Zaruba, Canadian rugby player, rugby sevens player, has just signed a three-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. Dude is huge. He's like the Canadian Rob Gronkowski, but probably doesn't party like him because he's from the West Coast and they just don't party like us East Coast folk, right? We all know that. But Zaruba is a beast, and he's trying his chops now in the NFL, or will be. Zaruba's going to join me at 12.35 today. How does a Canadian rugby player get discovered, and put in a context where he can sign an NFL contract. Like, how does that happen? Adam will let you know in a few moments' time. Uh, we, we have a couple of minutes to address a couple other topics. Um, I love the Rogers Cup every year. The tennis that comes to our city, whether it be men's and women's, it cycles, it switches between Montreal and Toronto every year. What we see, and this summer we're getting uh, the women's side of things. And it's really, really tough to get excited for women's tennis at present time. Like, it is, just because you don't know the names. You don't know the individuals. It's lacking star power. Serena Williams is obviously pregnant. She's having a child. Just one of, if not the best athlete of her generation, men or women's. Best athlete of all time, you can make the argument. She is that impressive. There's her. There's Venus Williams, who I believe is ranked ninth in the world, who's 37 years old. She's my age for crying out loud. But a 37-year-old still being the next biggest draw in women's tennis, that's a problem. So if you look at like the WTA points leaders and the rankings, you have Karolina Pliskova, Simona Halep, Angelique Kerber, Garbine Muguruza, Alina Svitolina, Caroline Wozniacki. Those are your top six. Johanna Conta, number seven. So of those tennis players I maybe heard or seen, three or four of them play. If they were in this room with me and you're asking me to pick who's who, I could tell you who Wozniacki is. I could tell you who Conta is. That's about it. 
And, and, and that's a real problem for women's tennis. So when I see Jeannie Bouchard doing this press tour, as she is today, there's some pictures up on Twitter that I saw with dozens of people surrounding her on a tennis court. Like, you can't even see Jeannie Bouchard. There's so much media around her. There's a couple things that come to mind. Are they there because of Jeannie, the tennis player? Are they there because Jeannie's Canadian? Are they there because there's no one else to rally around when it comes to this tournament? Or are they there because of Jeannie, the celebrity? And I hate being Debbie Downer on this, but it has to be because Jeannie's a celebrity. Do you consider Jeannie Bouchard more of an athlete or a pop, uh, pop, let me try this again, pop culture icon? You go to her Instagram, there's more about pushing products and modeling shoots than her doing anything tennis related. Well, she might be holding a tennis racket in some of the shots, but they're done for promotional purposes. And again, that's how things work today. But as a 23-year-old tennis player who's entering her prime, who came onto the scene with so much potential, it has gone unrealized. And that's not a draw for me to go out and see her play. That's a draw to follow her on Instagram. Those are two different things. I don't know how you promote a tournament. Hey, come out and see Jeannie Bouchard lose. Because that's the way things are right now. She's 69th in the world. 69th! The poster girl, or poster woman, for the Rogers Cup here in Toronto is the 69th ranked player in the world. It helps that she's Canadian. I get that that's part of the attraction, but it's more about the fact that Jeannie Bouchard's attractive and she is a marketing maven. That's it. Am I off base for saying that? Like, that's what Jeannie Bouchard is right now. She is a celebrity and then kind of a tennis player. Might sound harsh, but true. So go out and see some celebrities at this year's Rogers Cup. And you might be able to see some decent tennis too. Maybe. Maybe. You might even be able to recognize someone. It's a real problem for women's tennis right now. The lack of familiarity and that a tournament's pushing... You know, someone who can market the game, or market herself rather, than being expected to be competitive at this year's tournament. I want to play this clip really quickly before Christian Jack joins us. J.P. Ricciardi, it was a long time ago, Toronto Blue Jays general manager. This is just food for thought. And the conversation turned to the media and fan focus on management rather than the players. I think this is completely applicable for the Toronto Blue Jays right now. A lot of the conversation is about Shatkins, Shapiro and Atkins, and I get it, what they have done, what they haven't done, but largely where the Blue Jays are right now is because of the failures of the players on the field. This team isn't this bad on paper. They're not. It's players not being able to pull their weight, live up to what the expectation of what they are. But in this city, we're obsessed with the front office. We're obsessed with people that work within the organization. And not as much in terms of pointing fingers at the actual players on the court, on the ice, on the field, etc. Here's J.P. Ricciardi on this unique Toronto phenomenon. 
You know, I, I would have to tell you in my eight years in Toronto that, that that's a fair assessment. I think uh, from my experience with the media, they were more uh, in tune to what management and ownership was doing as opposed to maybe in a city like Boston or New York uh, where they hold the players a little bit more accountable. Um, now, and, and that doesn't mean that you know one is right and one is wrong. It just means that seems to be the angle that uh, that I experienced when I was in, uh, you know, when I was in Toronto. And I think you know the media's got a job to do. They got to sell papers. Uh, although you know most people don't even read papers anymore, so I, I don't even know you know where what the paper, uh, what the significance of the newspaper, the, the Daily Beat writer now is. Uh, but I think. In Boston, in New York, in some of the other cities, they, they're not afraid to come after the players. And, uh, and they do come after management, too. So it's not, it's not like uh, one is, is, you know, takes precedent over the other. Um, and I, I think, like I said, writers got jobs to do, and, and they got to approach however they want to cover the club and, you know, where they want to put blame or not blame on, on uh, whether it's the players or management. So, um, you know, look, it, it's... Everybody's got a job to do, and no matter which way they attack you, the whole bottom line is, you know, you're trying to be the best organization you can be, and if you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're an open target for anybody. J.P. Ricciardi on Overdrive yesterday uh, with Brian Hayes. I, I think that Ricciardi's spot on. It's, there's always a fascination, whether it be Brian Burke or Lou Lamorello or Alex Anthopoulos and, or Masai Ujiri, and less so in terms of holding players on the field to play accountable. I don't know any other market that works this way. This obsession with the front office, why is that? Is it the way that we, the media, present things? Are we out of touch? Are we out of tune? I I try to focus on the players as much as possible, but then I look and listen and watch around me, and that seems to be the case. This obsession with everything to do with the front office. Criticism, praise, and everything in between, and less so with things that are actually happening on the court, the field, the ice. Is J.P. Ricciardi right? Let me know. The text is 105050, the email live at TSN 1050, at Wheeler TSN on Twitter. Uh, the pool question for today, and this all had to do with the story that came out that Major League Soccer turned down the opportunity to sign a $4 billion media rights deal. There's this guy down in Miami, part of the soccer club down there. They're not playing in MLS. He wants to be part of the fray. Promotion relegation is the best chance. He was willing to pay $4 billion for the media rights starting in 2023 for 10 years. he distribute the media rights worldwide. And as part of that, the demand was the one stipulation that promotion relegation was brought to MLS. Don Garber, the commissioner, has never embraced that idea, nor does it seem like he's willing to anytime soon. But it brings up the larger discussion. Should other North American sports leagues be pursuing a promotion relegation type setup where every game or most games seemingly matter? It would get away the whole get away from the whole idea of tanking which has become a real detriment to watching competitive sport across this continent from a professional perspective. And thus far on Twitter, I I put it out there, would you welcome promotion relegation in North American pro sports? 55% of people say yes. 
Please, no more tanking. 26% say depends on the structure created. Only 19% say no promotion relegation. The risk is too great. So I want to bring on my good buddy, TSN soccer analyst Christian Jack, at Christian Jack on Twitter. He's lived in England. He covers a sport where promotion relegation simply works, as well as he's a fan of North American sports and sees and understands the climate here on this continent as well. So Christian Jack joining Toronto today. What's going on, KJ? How are you, pal? You okay? Doing okay, buddy. Um, What do you make of this? Whole idea of promotion uh, and relegation. Perhaps you can give our listeners a little bit of a perspective because you've really lived and breathed both different uh, uh, different kinds of formats of the way that these leagues structure. These leagues are structured. Is one better than the other for your experience? Well, I think. I mean, obviously, what I'm used to is is very different to what people over here are used to. I think the promotion relegation factor has always been in the case with with within the professional soccer environment within the UK. And, you know, you know, I think, first of all, it really does work from a point of view that you mentioned there in terms of making every game matter. I mean, that is the real sell of the Premier League right now. We're fortunate to see that sport and that league grow uh, as a TSM property, and it's a real pleasure to bring that to everybody when we do the shows every weekend during the season. And, and why does it work? Why is it, you know, almost appointment viewing for so many people around the world? Because the Premier League have made it so that every one of the 380 matches in the game in that season matter whether you you've got a, a team battling from who, who was 17th whether it be a Swansea City playing playing a Stoke you know you're worried about one of those getting dragged in the relegation one of them already in the relegation so from that point of view it really does work uh, and that's what I've really enjoyed I, I love North American sports as well and I do think that it would be very difficult to bring in within the four major sports uh, we can get back and forth on that in, in a minute but I do think that it, within Major League Soccer I don't know how long it's going to take, but I will say this. I don't think it's um, when it's, it's – I don't think it's if, it's when. I do think it's absolutely inevitable that eventually it will come in in Major League Soccer. I'm with you on that. I want to get back to the whole idea of every game or most games meaning something. That's the problem here, KJ. In Major League Baseball right now, there are teams that are playing for nothing. We're approaching a trade deadline where teams are selling off their best assets to what? shed contracts, and look towards the, the, the next coming years. Rather than rewarding their, their season ticket base, people that want to support the team in the now, they're forcing them to kind of turn away and kind of making less of the product. Whether you are the Maple Leafs tanking a couple of years ago, whether you're in the NBA year after year, teams bottoming out, it's frustrating for a fan base who's supposed to be engaged following North American teams that really is part of their strategy are going out there to fail. Yeah, I understand it. And, you know, being a fan of, of a couple of teams that are struggling over here right now, I completely I feel it. You know, I am a fan as well as a member of the media. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to the business models. What I will say is that what, what is against promotion and relegation over here is the sheer capacity of numbers of population. You know, we, we can talk about people not going going to games or crowds being down or when you hear about crowds being down. I'll say this every single time. The amount of people that turn up to watch baseball games every single night for 162 games over six months is absolutely phenomenal in every market. I don't care what it is. I don't care whether people are complaining that only 14,000, 15,000 people are going to watch the Rays or the A's every single night. And why is that? 
One, because of population. That is a major, major factor that you do not have, particularly within, within the UK. Yes, the population there for the sheer land mass of the environment, 60 million, is, is enormous, but it's not what it is over here. Um, and that's why right now, you know, I was at the Blue Jay game last night. You've got 40,000 people Crazy. Watching, watching a Blue Jays versus Oakland A's game, and both teams are terrible. To be quite frankly, the odd, they're not going to make the playoffs. Not got a chance of making the playoffs. And I know people have, you know, a lot of people have bought tickets in advance. But I still think the market over here and the, the fact that the Jays are doing so well in the last couple of years is going to carry on that crowd for a number of years. So the business model is a difficult one. How do you go to an ownership group and say, are you prepared to settle best for second best? Are you able to go into second best and deal with that and 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 do the promotion and relegation stuff? You know, we, we've seen it in the NBA with the 76ers tanking, and there's so many different examples we can go into. Why do I think it works in Major League Soccer? Because I think that despite what they tell us, that it is a salary cap league and everything is fair, we are seeing the bigger teams grow bigger and the smaller teams get smaller. And I do think that eventually the more and more teams that come in, they do not want to continue to increase the amount of playoff spots. And I do think eventually the fan base is so crucial with an MLS in terms of it being a very uh, educated fan base. I do think that the fear would be that, oh, well, why would I go support my team in the second division? They wouldn't do that. There was such a loyal factor now towards these teams, Gareth, that if you're a Colorado Rapids fan, if you're, it doesn't matter who you are, you'll go watch that team, whether they're contending for the second division title or at the bottom of the Western Conference standings as of right now. See, in this word, this, this P word has been, to me, it's a plague. And that's not the word that I'm going to use, but it's been a plague on North American sports. This word parody, okay? Like, sports inherently is competitive. It should be competitive. Survival of the fittest. Let the strong go out there to dictate their own ambition. That's why I think overall the product would be better and it would hold smaller teams accountable that are really for ownership groups that are content on collecting a paycheck. Whether it be through ticket sales, television contracts, sponsorship, it's okay to feel a little bit uncomfortable and to push on and try to create something special. And I think from that, KJ, a better product would be served up to the fan base who oftentimes are forced to watch an inferior product based upon there being no incentive to win. If, if you're not in the championship hunt, then the, then the mindset's what, what's the point? And that simply shouldn't be the case. You're right, you're bang on, and it forces the mindset of the management group and ownership group for, for, for right now, you know, for contending right now, whether that be a second division title or avoiding relegation in the first division. It certainly forces them, and, and a word I don't like, and you use the great word of parry, I can't stand the word rebuild either. And exactly. It's, it's, it's almost like an excuse for ownership group to tell their fan base to be patient for three or four years while they rebuild. And, you know, you know I love my baseball, you know I love my Atlanta Braves, and I've been through a, a serious rebuild of watching garbage baseball for three years and you know could I tell you that that is the correct pathway to success are they going to win the World Series in 2020 no I couldn't tell you that I, I could tell you that they had a lot of bad contracts on their deal and they needed to do something but this idea of a rebuild being the right way to go forward and win something yes there's a Houston Astros in baseball right now that went the right way but how many years were they terrible and they got lucky in some of their draft picks but you know I do think that the, the idea that we can the, the fan base plays a massive part in all this as I said, if fans don't go to games, 
eventually the ownership groups and the league commissioners and meetings are going to get together and say, how can we make sure that they get the games? But as fans continue to go to games, then, and, and fans are going in their waves more than ever before. We can talk about the great years of the 60s and 70s of sports. Fans were not going in the numbers that they're going now, Gareth, and that's the, probably the one thing I think that is probably going to be against the idea of promotion and relegation because right now ownership groups are saying, why would we do that? We're making the money and, we're, and they're being patient with us and they believe in what we're selling. Right. Christian Jack joining us here on Toronto Today. I'm Wheels at Christian Jack on Twitter. So when it comes to MLS, you say it's a matter of when, not if. This, this league is expanding Toronto FC went from paying $10 million 10 years ago for an expansion team to MLS commanding $125 million today, and cities are lining up across the United States to do so. The league's at 22, will be 23 next year with LAFC. It seems like there's enough interest where you could do it, but why is Don Garber, why is this MLS leadership group so dead set against it at present time? Well, I, I'm sorry. Without speaking for somebody, I can only I can only presume that it comes down to finance, and I can only presume that right now he doesn't want to devalue franchises in terms of making them being perennial second division clubs. Um, and that's uh, right now when you're asking a franchise to come in and pay 125 million, they want to be playing amongst the top level. Um, so I mean, I, I don't see this coming within the next decade, for example. But I do think that it will be absolutely inevitable. Um, I just think that when you get to a league of 28 to 30 franchises, which suddenly becomes on par with everybody else within the major leagues in, in, in North America and major sports. You know, at what point are they going to be okay with allowing eight teams per conference to make the playoffs? You know, that, that becomes farcical. The, the biggest problem that North American sports have for me is brand equity. And what does that game mean that, that night? And it's a big question around the world that every sport in federation is asking right now. When you go to sell that game, what does it mean to the consumer? And the consumer has got more and more choice for everything these days. So they're going to that game going, tell me why this matters. And that's the biggest hurdle that I think Major League Soccer is going to face in the next 15 to 20 years with expansion because regular season games in the middle of July right now sometimes feel like they don't matter totally. in a lot of markets already. And that's with the amount of teams that are already in MLS. You add another six, seven, eight teams in MLS, you keep the same amount of teams getting the playoffs, it's going to feel like that even worse. You've got to give an incentive to those franchises that, for quite frankly, you mentioned TFC, is what everyone knows here, simply cannot afford to compete with the ownership group of Toronto FC. Columbus Crew, Colorado Rapids, we can go on and on and on. They're never, ever going to be in the same financial landscape of TFC. Their requirement, their hope is that TFC may continue to make bad decisions and mistakes, which is what they did in the first seven, eight years. Now TFC have righted that ship and they're going in the right direction. They can't compete with them. So you've got to give those teams an incentive to be able to compete in a different way. And that's why I think eventually MLS 1 and MLS 2 will come in and it'll be a success. Yes, and, and I want to dispel the notion that a second division product isn't compelling because competing for the right to play against the biggest, the best clubs and players in the world, there's incentive there, not only in terms of a financial incentive, but an entertainment incentive as well. You, you, you support a club, Aston Villa, you know, a, a legendary club in, in English football. They've been relegated. They're playing in, in the league championship right now, yet every game for them matters, doesn't it, KJ, to get back to a place where they believe they should be? Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, you know, when they get down there, every, every game is more important to that franchise. And then quite frankly, 
for a team that was terrible for a, a long stretch of, t- of games in the Premier League, you know, you, you, as a fan base, you never want them to go down, but you almost welcome it. You know, it was, I remember speaking to Norwich City officials when they were in the Premier League and they went down a couple of years ago as well. You know, they felt that they, you know, there's only so much they can time they can spend in the Premier League two or three years in a row where they're winning maybe six, seven games out of 38 and surviving at the end. Yes, financially, that's a great story, but at some point they want their fans to go to their stadium every week excited that they might actually see a team win. And eventually you've got to realize in sports, what is your level? And if that's what I, I think that will come with MLS, people will say, okay, well, why would a big star in Europe go to MLS too? Well, quite frankly, right now, all those big stars are not going to those teams anyway. They're all going to the big teams anyway that's already within New York and everything else. So um, I, I think it's going to happen, and, and I really like your idea of pushing the envelopes into the other sports. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, KJ, Gold Cup final tonight. Are you part of that broadcast? I am not actually part of that broadcast. Ooh, day off. Stephen Caldwell and, and Luke are calling it, and uh, our friend Terry Dunfield is in studio for, for what should be a, an exciting U.S.-Jamaica game. Very good, buddy. Thanks for joining us. I mean, this conversation's not going anywhere, and I really believe it should extend beyond MLS into all North American sports leagues, but we'll save that continued conversation for another day. Thanks for this, KJ. Bye. Christian Jack, my good buddy, joining us here on TSN 1050 Toronto Today and TSN Soccer Analyst. TFC back in action this Sunday at BMO Field against New York City FC. You can listen to that on TSN 1050. Hey, myself and Terry Dunfield will have that call for you. Some bad news out of TFC camp. Benoit Sheru, the midfielder, has a grade 2 calf tear. He suffered on Saturday against Colorado, out for eight weeks. So a big blow for Toronto FC. A leader, a true good guy within that room will miss the next, well, upwards of two months. Uh, Adam Zaruba, great story. If you haven't heard the name before, Canadian Rugby Sevens player just signed a three-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. You'll hear the Canadian story, how a rugby player was attracted to or gained interest from an NFL team. How that all played out, Adam will tell you next. I'm Gareth Wheeler. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050. Oh, brilliant. Zarubo, he's just been talking about it. And he plucks it out of the air quite brilliantly. Is that not the play of the weekend? That was unbelievable ball control here. One hand, the big mid goes up, sticks, riding like a boundary outfielder, riding the rope on the outside to save a six. That is unbelievable piece of play there from Zaruba. World Rugby 7 Series. I was addicted watching on TSN. I'm a big rugby guy. Rugby League, Rugby Union, Toronto Wolfpack. Being down to a game at Lamport, it's been incredible. Now I feel like my worlds are colliding, being a rugby fan, as well as a fan of the city of brotherly love. Well, just one team there being the Philadelphia Eagles. That's why our next guest is perfect. Gareth Wheeler with you, at WheelerTSN on, tw- on uh, Twitter. Lease Busters, they'll rescue you from your car lease. Lease Busters, heroic? Maybe. Hopeful? Totally. People would love to take over your car lease. For your lease relief, go to leasebusters.com. It's a feel-good Canadian story. But you just wonder, how the heck does that happen? Canadian rugby player turned NFL player. Adam Zaruba from out on the West Coast, Vancouver, British Columbia, has now signed a three-year deal. 
with the Philadelphia Eagles, the 26-year-old trading rugby for NFL football. How did that all play out? Adam Zaruba joining us on the line. Congratulations, Adam. This must be a whirlwind for you, uh, especially this last week since this announcement. Yeah, it's, uh, thanks for having me. It's been uh, been very crazy, uh, especially the last you know forty eight hours. The last couple of days has been been pretty crazy, but it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So the biggest question that I and a lot of people have: Okay, how does a rugby player get attracted or get discovered to play NFL football? How did this all come to be? Well, uh, about a month and a half ago or so, I was contacted by uh, by uh, a, a South African rugby agent, actually, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was telling me that you know he thought that that I could do it and that it was something that he that he wanted to pursue with me, and so you know he had his contacts, and so uh, so I said sure, and so we put together uh, some footage, and uh, he sent it out, and um, uh, the Eagles were one of the people that sort of found on that and then they contacted me and it uh i mean that's in a nutshell but uh right yeah it was a it was a, it was a very unique process i think about you know getting 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 noticed and getting my shot so. so when you send footage what footage do you send is it you playing rugby is it you doing drills working out like what are you sending to the eagles well um yeah it's a, it's a combination of everything um I, I i got some footage uh i was working up at ubc with the quarterback up there michael connor and uh and so when I went up there, they filmed some uh, some footage of me running routes and doing things like that. Uh, I got some footage of uh, 40 yard, and then I put together a highlight package of my rugby so that they could see sort of, you know, my athleticism and what I could offer in in that regard. Uh, and then I sort of put it all together and sent it all out. So it was a combination of everything. Obviously, I don't have a lot of football highlights, but uh, you know, I sent what I could. Have, have you played football before? Yeah, so I uh, I played in high school and then uh, you know and then I was at SFU for a couple of years and I didn't I didn't really play there. Um, you know, it was a it was a bit of an unfortunate circumstance there, but I, I got a lot of good experience there and a lot of good training. And so my football background isn't zero, but it's uh, um, it's not you know what the uh, usual NFL player would be, but. Uh, it's uh, it's something. But well, you've heard of scenarios and cases before where rugby players have come into the National Football League, which is, which is just a unique scenario, right? Because that, yeah. I guess, a skill set or a, 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 a physical makeup or technique doesn't necessarily work from one sport to another. But it seems to work for rugby to football. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis every time you right. look at it. Um, you know, uh, football is very specific in its jobs. And so, you know, you have different body types for different positions. And, and I think that rugby and football share a lot of uh, sort of the same, you know, physical uh, requirements and sort of aspects, you know, like you want to have people who are, who are athletic, who are strong and tough and, you know, can run. And, you know, football is a lot more... Uh, stop like start stop and it's um you know there's a lot more uh like aggressive cutting and things like that whereas rugby is more of a, a free-flowing game but i think that there's a lot of uh you know a lot of things that you can take from the training over uh that you can that you can sort of apply to each sport uh and then you know once you get the general uh basics down then you know the intricacies come out and then that's what you have to sort of learn but um yeah, I'd say that there's there's definitely some crossover there. Very cool. Uh, Adam Zaruba, Canadian rugby player turned NFL player, just signed a three-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles, joining us here on t- on Toronto Today. Gareth Wheeler with you. Great handle, by the way, on Twitter, the Zoobs 12 
Zoobs. Z-O-O-B-S. That's great, buddy. Yeah, is that your nickname, Zoobs? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just, uh, that's what people have been, that's what all my teammates have been calling me for quite some time it, now. And it's, it's quality you know, handle, buddy. Yeah, quality thank stuff. you. Appreciate that. The other, the other big difference, you mentioned that rugby's more free-flowing. I guess the way that you tackle, the way that you hit is a little bit different as well because you're not wearing pads and a helmet. How much of an adjustment is that for you just in terms of putting on the equipment? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, rugby, you don't wear any pads. And so uh, the focus is on technique and making sure that when you're making hits, you're doing it properly so that you can protect yourself. Um, you know, with, with football, obviously, you know, I think special teams is going to be a big thing of mine as well. So I know that using my tackle, my tackling technique and things like that will, will definitely come into play for my advantage. But, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's more of a mindset than anything. And, and the pads are just, they're just there, you know, you just have to get used to it. And I, and I'm sure that most of the guys, when they wear pads for long enough, they don't realize that they're there because it's just part of it. So I think it's just going to be getting used to it. And, um, I mean, I've worn pads before, so it's not anything new to me. I, I've seen you play rugby before. You're big. You're strong. How big are you, Adam? Six five, two sixty. Yeah, six five, two sixty. Like right you're a big boy. Like, like that's Gronkowski's size right there. You know, and and you can move as well. That seems like kind of the new modern day NFL football player. They're looking for people like you. So you got to be confident that at least you're, from a physical perspective, you fit the bill. Yeah, I think that uh, physically, you know, I have something to offer, and uh, you know, I know that I know that you know they just they're looking for big athletic guys, and I think I fit that bill. So, you know, I think the big challenge for me is not so much uh, being able to match up physically; it's being able to you know adapt to the systems and, and learn how to be a football player and see if I can see if I can do that you know quick quickly. So, I. I um, whenever I challenge more than everything. Yeah, sure. I mean, whenever I watch rugby, like. I'm in awe about the physical specimens that you guys are. Not just the size, the build, but the punishment that you take not wearing pads. In the NFL, it's a completely different scenario because maybe there's a false sense of security with the pads and helmet seemingly as protection and a weapon at the same time. Are you, are you nervous about that? Like just you know, taking the contact, a different kind of contact that the NFL brings to the table versus the physical demands that rugby brings you each and every time you step out on the pitch. Uh, no, uh, I'm not. I'm not nervous. I mean, I uh, that's that's my job. You know, I mean, every every time I have played, you know, football and rugby, I mean, I've always been I've always been the guy taking contact and being the physical player, running forward, you know, taking hits and like. You know, I'm expecting some some pretty big hits coming out of those players. Uh, so, you know, I, it's definitely not something to scoff at. But, uh, you know, I'm excited for that. It's, it's kind of what gets me going, and I know that that's what I'm good at. It's my point of difference. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a different feel, that's for sure. Uh, taking contact with pads on is going to be different, but I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be uh, very fun, very uh, a very cool part of the game. Totally. I mean, you're 26 years old. This presents a new type of challenge for you. Uh, and it also provides a different paycheck as well. Uh, I mean, rugby's on the rise in this country, I think in this continent in general, but the NFL is a completely different beast. It, what's the incentive to go and try this out, Adam, which, you know, at a time where you're really in the, in the peak of your career from a pro- professional perspective, whether it be rugby or football? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it is different. The landscape of football in North American rugby is, is completely different, um, you know, in terms of everything, uh, the compensation and, you know, everything like that. But for me, like, 
uh, it's 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 something that I've always wanted to to do. Um, you know, rugby has been an absolutely incredible sport for me, and I, I love it. And you know, it's it's been key for my development. And you know, football football kind of took a sideline for me for a little while. And you know, this is the type of opportunity that I saw, and I said to myself, like, I have to give this a shot because I've always wanted to see if it was something that I could do. And um, you know, I, I did you know play just as much football as I did rugby growing up, and you know, I loved both sports. And so this is an opportunity for me to take all the things that I've learned from rugby and all the training and everything that I've gotten from being an elite athlete the last couple of years and, uh, and transfer it over and to see if, see if I can do it. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a really awesome challenge for me uh, to see if it's something that I can, that I can do and, you know, transfer my skills over and, and be successful at. So I'm really looking forward to, to that well, aspect of it. You know, Canadian sports fans, I mean, they're excited to see what's in store next for you. And they're entirely supportive. The Philadelphia Eagles, like I'm an Eagles fan, but the Philadelphia fan base, they're hardcore, dude. Like uh, they, yeah. they, they don't hold anything back. What's been the reaction out of Philadelphia? Because they're reading headlines, Canadian rugby player coming down to play with us? Who is this guy? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really, honestly, I haven't really had time or paid attention too much to any of that. I mean, I've gotten a lot of, you know, messages from, from Philly fans and, and people saying that they're excited to see me. I know that there's always going to be a flip side of the coin to that, especially with football, um, you know, and a rugby player coming to play football. It's not a very um, common thing. But, um, you know, I'm just, uh, I just know what type of athlete I am, what type of game I bring uh, to a physical sport like this. And I think that I fit, I fit uh, you know, the mold that they're looking for. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, you know, I can, I can learn and adapt quickly, and I can I can you know bring a positive uh, thing to this uh, program. It's Absolutely. gonna be a lot of fun to see how it goes. It's a team on the rise. Uh, so, what's next for you, Adam? Well, I'm I'm currently back in Canada now. I'm just waiting for my visa to uh, to go through over there, so that I can go back and get into camp. So right now, I'm just in my book and you know learning as much as I can until I get get with the team, and then it's just gonna be you know, uh, jumping right in and trying to adjust and, and you know, uh, make sure I, I know all my plays and everything like that and just getting out there and showcasing my athleticism, showing them what I can do, and then, and then you know, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Amazing. Well, Canada Sevens will certainly miss you. We'll be watching. Congratulations. These are exciting times for you. I wish you nothing but the best. I encourage our listeners to give you a follow on Twitter as you make your way to the city of brotherly love, the Zoobs12 on Twitter. Adam Zaruba, thanks for doing this, man, and congrats again. All the best to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Adam Zaruba, what a great story. Canadian Sevens rugby player going on to the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles signing a three-year contract with them. Wishing them nothing but the best. And Joe Narsa and I, Mike Hogan, all Philadelphia Eagles fans, fly, Eagles fly. And we'll be certainly watching to see how this all plays out. A WTF coming up next. Um... Something on the Chicago Bears which might depress you as a Bears fan and what I saw last night at the Spoon concert at Massey Hall. WTF coming up next. This is TSN 1050. Now this was Scruzzi's idea because we had Adam Zaruba on. What were you thinking, Scruzzi? Come on the mic. Zaruba, Jamaica. It would have been the perfect intro song for the guy. I love it. Zaruba. 
That's the ultimate WTF and the perfect way to segue to this. What the? They defeat the Toronto Blue Jays 19 to 1. Oh, that's nasty. You come to the rink to see something maybe you've never seen before. And that might be one of those moments. It's only two dudes better than me. And I'm both of them. Stay off the weed. W-T-F. I appreciate that, Scrizzy. It just shows you've been hanging out with me too much. Uh, Carolina Panthers' mom dropped his uh, dropped her son off at training camp. Second round pick Curtis Samuel had his mom bring him to training camp and watch him walk in, and she's had to take the social media because people have been ripping the guy and her. I think it's kind of cute. Mom dropping her son off—it's like the first day of school. I got no problem with it. Love that story. If I was a professional athlete, no problem. My mom, Joanne Wheeler, you can drop me off. She could come drop me off at work. I'm cool with that. Got to show love for the moms. Um, the Chicago Bears. Oh, my God. The Chicago Bears. I mean, they've even had some good teams in recent years. But the Chicago Bears haven't had a Pro Bowl quarterback since Jim McMahon in 1985. That's 31 years. 30 Going on 32 years. Without a Pro Bowl quarterback? They've had 28 quarterbacks take snaps since that time. Mike Tomzak, Mike Honesty, Steve Bradley, Jim Harbaugh, Peter Tom Willis. Peter Tom Willis. Will Fuhrer, Steve Walsh, Eric Kramer, Dave Craig, Rick Meyer, Steve Strenstrom, Moses Moreno. Who? Shane Matthews, Cade McNown, Jim Miller, Chris Chandler, Henry Burris. Smiling Hank. Cordell Stewart, Sexy Rex Grossman. Cowboy Kyle Orton, Jake Cutler, Todd Collins, Josh McCown, Caleb Haney, Jason Campbell, Jimmy Clausen, Brian Hoyer, Matt Barkley. You all stink. There's three Pro Bowl quarterbacks every year. They've had one since 1985. That is an ultimate WTF. Uh, you got to see this highlight or low light. Tuesday night, Dodgers prospect Alex Verdugo hit a ball into the outfield. They're taking on the Reno Aces. It was about 10 feet short of the wall. Like it wasn't even at the warning track. It bounced off Zach Borenstein's head, the outfielder, kind of like a la Jose Canseco, and over the wall for a home run. You got to see, like, how does that happen? You want to be a professional player? Ridiculous. Canada Post now says they will no, no longer park in bike lanes in the city of Toronto. This cop, Officer Ashley, has been following people that have been parking illegally, and the worst offenders are delivery trucks, and Canada Post... And they're one of the worst bike lane offenders. And now they say they won't park in the bike lanes anymore. Let's see how long that lasts. My guess, not long. The ultimate WTF happened to me last night. A scantily clad dressed woman in the row in front of me at the Spoon concert at Massey Hall. She was a little bit taller than this dude that they were with. They were both wasted. She was like wearing lingerie on top. And she was right in front of me. And she was dancing like a stripper the entire time, grinding it out, twerking at a rock concert at Massey Hall. I don't know if she was a stripper. I don't know if this guy hired to bring her along, but it was an absolute scene. They left halfway through, but he just kept on playing with her hair, and she was grinding it out like she was on a stripper pole. I've never seen anything like it at front of me, in front of me at Massey Hall. Like some rock shows, you see some things, but that was entirely unexpected. 
Provocative, yes. Distracting, absolutely. Those were your WTFs. Wow, that's messed up. Really messed up. The Scott MacArthur Show is coming up next. Great work, Joe Narsa. Great work, Scrizzy behind the glass. On behalf of everyone here at TSN 1050, I'm Wheels. Have a good day, Toronto.